Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses. And when I'm not interviewing entrepreneurs, I uh, I, I love drinking whiskey. The problem with drinking whiskey is that um, the only way you know what a good whiskey is, is if a friend introduces you to it, or maybe you go to the store and the bottle looks nice, or it's priced high, and it's got an interesting story, so you go and get it. <sighs> All right. When you get into whiskey, Katarina, I get really excited, right? So I really believe that most people, for example, would prefer Johnny Walker red to black. And I think most people who go Johnny Walker green and all these other colors don't know what they're talking about. But if they could actually taste it, they would know what they really liked. They're judging based on the bottle and the promotion, number one. And number two, I think that if I'm sticking with a rye, it's because a rye whiskey is all over the place. So I stick with one rye that I know because I'm afraid that some other rye is going to taste like the stuff that you drink when you don't have much money but you want to get really, really drunk. Anyway, <laughs> this is a terrible introduction to a product I'm really excited about. Katarina Axelson, sorry, <laughs> recognize a similar problem with wine, that we don't know what we love until we taste it. We don't know what what is the wine for us. And especially now that we're buying more and more of our products online – it's all left to marketing and somebody else's review, and that, both of those things, are, are manipulative. So she said, I think I could create a product, software, that will actually tell consumers what they what they would love based on what we know about their uh, taste. And she's done it. She started with wine. She's going to expand to other products. The company is called Tastry. I'm a little too excited about it. Katerina, whenever I'm excited about technology, I should just write the intro because I see that I get carried away with the description. But I think I've done a good job explaining it. And now we're going to talk about how she built up Tastry, and we could do it thanks to my sponsor, HostGator. And later on, I'll tell you why. If you want to host a website, you should go to HostGator.com slash Mixergy. First, Katerina, thanks. Thanks so much for having me, Andrew. You discovered this because you were working in the wine industry and you saw something about ratings and consumer sales what did you notice well i'll i'll tell you real quick i i um yeah i definitely got the inside scoop so i i paid my way through college by working as a quality control chemist in the wine industry i went i went to cal poly university and we have you know what is it 400 wineries in a 20 mile radius something like that and um i um first off i was given a lot of freedom to run my own mad science type experiments in the lab and I took full advantage of that um, and I stayed after work hours and tinkered and and had come up with inventions before tastry we don't want to get into that but um but during this time I uh, I was became acquainted with the idiosyncrasies um, uh, when it not only in the wine industry but really I noticed when it comes to developing a product and bringing it to market one of the things I noticed is that uh, we had a multi-million dollar batch of wine, you know, and giant tanks, lots of products sitting there. And we ended up selling half of that product under one label to one client, the other half of the same product to another label, another client. And so the same product went out into the market under different labels with different marketing, different price points. And then consequently, it received different scores from um, I think it was some of the same critics, if not not that time, then another time. Um, so from a consumer perspective, there's no way you would know that the same wine is on the shelf somewhere, just with different branding. Um, and that that was just I think that was the first inspiration because I saw there's an overwhelm of choice. There's kind of a fog of intuition and a lack of transparency. And uh, I thought technology could uh, objectify this.
uh, sorry, isn't the packaging and the whole experience of the bottle and the story behind it part of what makes a wine taste better or worse? So maybe it's not really about the taste. Maybe most people don't really care. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really great question. And it's one that I was asking for um, years as the technology was getting built, right? Um, what we found is that um, what's inside the bottle absolutely matters after the first time. So you can sell someone almost anything once. Um, you know, I, I you can convince me that this coffee is going to be great. But if I don't have a good experience, I'm never going to buy it again. And the the like, if we were just to talk about like the business, like benefits and efficacy of this here, 85% of CPGs um, and uh, fail after uh, launching into the market. 80, there's an 85% failure rate. And that's what the best folks... Of consumer packaged goods. Uh, yep. Mm-hmm. So, so we're talking about what types of products beyond wine? What are we looking coffee, at? fragrance, um, you know, uh, what's a packaged food like, like uh, anything you can taste or smell it, it you 85% of it fails and, and beyond that. And you're saying they put millions of dollars into millions. marketing these products often and they still fail. Right. But is it because the consumer... Why, why do you think that is? Uh, well, one of the reasons is your product on average only reaches 0.7% of your potential customer base before the fate of the product is determined. Um, another major driving factor is repeat purchase. It's very, very difficult to get a repeat purchase. So you're kind of like going out looking for a needle in the haystack. There are people that are going to like your product. Like we know that. But if you don't find them fast enough, you, they're never going to find it. So one of the objectives is, is we know someone is going to like your product out there. How do you find them? And um, how do you okay. get, mitigate the risk of people having a bad experience the first time they try something? Um, and and I, like, I could t there's so much to unpack here, but I don't want to be a monologist. So. <laughs> no, I, I want to hear more from you. I've got to say, though, with whiskey, I could totally tell the difference. Mm -hmm. With wine, maybe a little bit. With coffee, I hate to say it because there's so many coffee snobs out there. I can't tell the difference unless it's really extraordinarily different. It doesn't really matter. And so the packaging does matter. The price matters. The story behind who created it matters. And so isn't that true for more, most people? How do you know that it's not true for most people? Um, and most products. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, I'm the total opposite. I'm super into coffee. I could totally tell all the nuances and difference and have totally been, I guess, like trained myself to do that. But whiskey is still mysterious to me. So maybe we should swap some uh, knowledge here. Um, we know that there's an impact because, well, let's just look as an outsider these companies are spending millions and millions of dollars focus grouping the product and trying to find the optimal formulation before it goes to market. The second thing is, is okay. we found that um, with our methodology, um, when someone buys a product based on a tastery recommendation, as opposed to choosing a wine, for example, on their own, they rate the product on average 45% higher. Um, so people are more likely to like the product when we recommend it as opposed to randomly or through a friend recommendation, whatever it may be. So so off the bat okay. right there, there's a valuable use case. Um, I can keep going. All right. And I, I should say that if I, I shouldn't be arguing that nobody cares about taste. <laughs> Obviously, people have flavors that they love and uh, and they're unique to them. Um, 
I think I th- I see where you're coming from on this. And so you believed that you could somehow understand what people like based on a survey that they fill out? Yeah. And this was before you got started with history. That was your premise. Um, right, because we needed to mitigate the cold start problem typical of most recommender systems, right? We weren't mm-hmm. Netflix and we weren't Amazon and we didn't have 11 million users uh, where I could just collaboratively filter that data and then um, give you recommendations on things that are similar or dissimilar to you. Um, by the way, that method doesn't really work for sensory-based products the way it does for other products. It's not optimal. What do you mean? I mean, um, it like the type of algorithms that are used for providing recommendations that don't require initial user input, they require a ton of data on you, right? So like I buy things on Amazon and I buy books and I don't know, bottled water and whatnot. And they look at that data and compare it to someone who is similar to me and assume that Uh we're going to like the same or not the same products um for sensory-based products like wine that's that doesn't work we found because that person could buy i don't know radiohead albums and drive a I'm just making this up, a Range Rover, a Honda mm-hmm. Fit or whatever. But we can go out to dinner and she can love that Chardonnay on the table and I could hate it. And there's no latent variable in the data that could help me indicate that. Um, okay. So so we found that the answer is in the chemistry. So what, the way we provide recommendations is the way it's different is, is we use information-based algorithms and we use two data sets that we had to generate in-house. The first one is on the unique chemistry of those products. Um, We had to gather that data ourselves because we were gathering the chemistry with the focus in mind that we want to figure out how consumers are perceiving things as opposed to for quality control purposes. The second data is on blind ratings that consumers had on products that we, we, we poured a lot of wine to a lot of people let's just say thousands of wines to thousands of people. So in order to understand how to improve the odds that you're going to love the first product you buy, um, we have to get an input from you because we don't have historical data from you, right? You didn't tell me these are the 20 wines I already love. So find me one that's similar to that. So the way to short circuit that was to ask you 10 questions about how you like Flavors you already understand, like how do you like black coffee um, or licorice or dark chocolate? Um, So you don't have to be an experienced wine drinker, which is the other added benefit. And after about 20 seconds, what it's doing, and I don't want to nerd out, and I do have a tendency to do that, so feel free to stop me. But what we're doing with that data is those questions are analogs to the underlying chemistry of the product. And we're pinpointing and fingerprinting your palate. And then we don't need historical data from you anymore. Okay. All right. So that that's what you're doing today. Mm-hmm. Revenue-wise, where are you? Um, we're under $2 million in revenue. We've made over a million in revenue in the two years we've been making revenue. Okay. All right. And so you had this idea and you said, I need to get started. What's the first step you took? Oh, well... So that, that's a hard question for me to answer because before it was ever a business, uh, for three years, it was just a research project with myself and uh, PhDs um, in data science and experts in machine learning and sensory chemists. And it was largely an intellectual exercise. So, okay. um, you know, for the first three years, we just we wanted to pr- 
prove that we could teach a computer how to taste. I think I incorporated the company in mid-2016 just so that we can get uh, more equipment. Um, so... Because as a company, you could get equipment. What, why does being a, having a company help you get equipment? I, I, I wanted a small business loan, <laughs> so I needed to okay, be a business. Okay, got it. So that you could then go and get the equipment to do it. Because so for you, it wasn't even about starting the business and and building a a big business as the end goal necessarily. It seems like from what I know about you, you just love these intellectual exercises. Am I right? Well, sure. I would say running a business, um, especially in a category that's new, is certainly its own intellectual exercise. Um, but I, I didn't ever want to start a business for the sake of starting a business. I think, um, you know, I stumbled upon, in a way, this um, invention, and there's a lot of applications mm-hmm. and use cases for it, and I want to see it through. And that was fortunate. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. The reason that I thought maybe you're just an experimenter is you were telling our producer that when you were working as a chemist in a crush facility, in your spare time, you were able to run your own experiments, which was one of the things you loved about the job. And one of the experiments was something you invented that influenced the sulfur process in wine. What was this and why'd you do it? Oh, yeah. Um, It was just really interesting to me. Sometimes I intuitively look at things that are like the status quo or the way things are currently done and i and i just ask like very naively why is it being done that way and sulfur was one of those things so um without getting too deep into it um you test the chemistry of a batch of wine for example you calculate how much sulfur you need to add to that batch to protect it from you know um damage um and then you just you put it in a barrel or tank or whatever and you mix it in but I thought the oxygen, which is why you add sulfate to protect it from oxygen, it's all sitting on the top. Like there's a concentration gradient and a third of the tank or barrel is anaerobic, right? Um, And most of the time it's sitting still, even though you mix things. So I thought, why wouldn't you just have the sulfur concentration gradient match oxygen? So I I just, um, what I did was I put sulfur in a tea bag, but I added 35% less of it because I thought, you could use okay. less and suspended it at the top. And the result was is that a better quality wine was made. So it was more protected against oxygen and you use 35% less sulfur. So by putting it in a tea bag above yeah. the wine instead of what? Instead of just mixing it throughout the entire thing where you don't need sulfur ah. at the bottom, I estimated 35% of the tank because there's no oxygen there. So you don't need ah, to have God, sulfur. It's just there. the top that's exposed potentially to oxygen that you want the sulfur to eliminate oxygen. Right. Is that right? Versus the very bottom, which is just coming into contact with other wine. Got it. And this was your invention. And yeah. What happened to that inv- to that invention? How much money did you make out of it? What happened to oh, it? Oh, I made zero money off of it. I'd, first off, I because? mean, I was young. I, I don't know if you could make money off a little contraption. Um, I didn't patent that invention. But I, I do think, uh, yeah, no, that that company took that method and ran with it. Yeah. And, and it feels to me like that's one of the influences that maybe led you to form Tastery into a business where you said, look, I had something. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what I had because I was just, I was just tinkering and I had this vision, but I didn't realize how big it could be. This time I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to start a company, have the company own the intellectual property, respect it as a thing that could potentially be 
industry changing. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I mean, tastry, the, the potential, like the benefits are of that on the industry is so great. Like it, it's huge. It's a huge opportunity. So yeah, not one I would want to pass up. Okay. All right. So you had that idea. You got a business loan of how much money? Oh, for that equipment, um, oh, must have been a hundred thousand dollars, something like that. Yeah, that was okay. our first one. Impressive. You had to sign a personal guarantee. No, no, no. Wow. I had some seed money at that point as well, so I had some very okay. early investors who knew it was just an experiment who um, invested just to help me hire some. Um, help some team members yeah how'd you get the seed money how'd you get the investors i went through um this program at cal poly called the cie it's the center for innovation and entrepreneurship and i i went into the summer program and just pitched this um idea my first um time experimenting with a pitch and i just said something along the lines of the wine industry is huge and it's ripe for disruption blah 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 something (laughs) like that i don't really know what we're gonna do here yet but Look at me. I'm a scientist. And um, yeah, fortunately, um, that convinced a few people. <laughs> sounds perfect. Okay. It sounds like the perfect pitch. All right. So you're uh, in business. What's the equipment that you needed in order to run these tests and understand what flavors people would like? Um, initially, it was just a quadrupole GCMS. Um, now, we've moved on to more advanced similar equipment, but basically what it does... What is a quadrupole CMS? Yeah. GCMS, yeah. It's a, it's a gas chromatograph. So what it does is is we, we um, volatilize a compound. Sorry, I'm trying. What we're doing is, is we're looking... We're breaking down the compound down to the ion or molecule count, and we're understanding exactly what compounds that solution consists of. Um, so if we want to quantify how many parts per million of benzaldehyde there are, which is a compound responsible for the cherry flavor in many cases, the GCMS will tell us that. So we can analyze the deep chemical soup of chemistry in a product. Uh, because if you don't, you don't want to understand the flavor based on how people had understood it before. You had this other vision for how computers need to understand flavors. What was it before and what was your vision for how a computer needs to understand flavors? Yeah, absolutely. That That's why it. I think it took three years to make it a real business. Um, as I was tinkering in the lab, I w- needed to understand what the status quo was and why was it not working? Mm-hmm. Why are 85% of products failing? Um, and that led me down a rabbit hole where I talked to you know the head researchers at IBM. Um, I talked to people at Google Brain. I met with the the CEO of one of the largest flavor and fragrance companies. And um, I, I, you know, it's related research. But what I understood they were doing was testing the chemistry of products and quantifying compounds. So what they're trying to do is predict, does this compound express this flavor? Like, for example, does benzaldehyde equal cherry? It doesn't matter. It could be a coffee, fragrance, wine. they can't predict it. And I found my hypothesis was is they can't predict the flavor because there's hundreds of other compounds in that chemical soup that are masking or expressing the original one you're looking for. So the problem is, is there was no method to look at all the chemistry in one snapshot. And why is that important? You know, like as humans, we experience all that chemistry at once. Like when I'm drinking this coffee, I'm not experiencing... Mm -hmm 
one um, one compound at a time the way the equipment is i'm experiencing them all at once and that's going to affect how you perceive it so the key innovation was developing a method that looked at everything in one snapshot the same way the human palate would um so th- that was one observation um if that if that's helpful <laughs> it is and i could understand why it would take you three years to go through this yeah. and then once you were ready mm-hmm. You decided to go after retailers. You said, look, these are the people who are trying to grow sales. They probably, if I understand you right, your experience in the wine industry helped. They're probably trying to increase sales of wine. You went to one and you offered them an API. Were they able to use the API? (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) No. Um, Well, I mean, look we had to build an interface for them because I realized for them to integrate in a tastery would have taken about you know, a year and a half, like retailers do did not at least at the time move fast. So um, I offered the intelligence of tastry and the insight it could provide on their consumer preferences. And they're like, this is great, but um, it's going to take us a year to implement, which blew my mind. So what I meant by that is, is we also had to build a product to enable the product we were trying to sell, which was a consumer facing um, recommender um where customers can interact with it immediately. We had to provide that product. Yeah. For the retailer or mm-hmm. because you wanted to show the retailer what could be done? Uh, Well, both. But yeah, if we showed the retailer how a consumer-facing recommender should look, it would have taken them forever to okay. implement it. So we're just like, we're, we'll just build it ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm used to... Um, in the tech space, if somebody has an API that helps a business grow sales, they'll hire a developer to implement the API if they don't have one on hand, and they'll just get it up and running and see results. But I have noticed that retailers are not the most tech savvy or the tech the most tech eager, right? Yes, that well, that's definitely changed, especially you know since um since COVID and okay. since the whole foods acquisition they're they're definitely scrambling to get caught up but yeah um historically that has been the case and you knew that the retailers weren't able to implement your api after you started selling it to them after you had that first retailer sign up with you or before um i just when i started talking to them everyone was on board you know personalization is a huge initiative in retail now mm-hmm. and, and has been for a while now and they're like this is great the wine aisle is the biggest pain point for our customers i think we all know that there's so many options there's an overall of realm of choice this could help them uh but uh you know uh we need help plugging into this api kind of thing like like it was the idea is great how do we how do we execute was the question all right and so you built this and now you were in the business of getting customers to try your app how did that go for you yeah um so so yeah app um just just to clarify in this case can mean any um just an interface that sits on a website an existing app an app in its own or um an ipad at the end of a wine aisle on a kiosk um that has the same uh, i see yeah it's 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 a medium agnostic it's a powered by tastry recommender engine um uh, model and uh uh we uh, provided the app and sold that as part of the recommender engine. I hope I answered your question. Yeah. And so now I can't get it on my, I'm trying to get it on the iPad. It, uh, it it goes into a loop somehow because when I 
when I go to your site to get the i to get the app for my iPad, it asks me for my phone number. I put my phone number in. It then texts me right away a link to the app, and then that ends up taking me right back to the page. I'm guessing that it's only on an iPhone. Is it in the App Store? It is. It is in the App Store. We're probably developing on it right now, and I I need to text my developer right now. Oh, okay. It should it should be no, working. No, that's okay. But you did Bottle Bird, right? That's uh, we kind of. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Uh, let me get back to you on that. Let's see. No, I see it here. Actually, it looks like for some reason it's not coming in for me, but I can see it's a survey followed by some recommendations with an understanding of why those recommendations were made. And I don't see a lot of use on it, right? It's It seems like it's more like your demo for retailers of what you could build for them with them. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Um, I I am not, our, our team, our company is not... Um, really focused on cons- being a consumer facing company our core competency is certainly b2b and the data and insight that we derive on customer behavior and that's where we focus but we do have this you can call a technology demonstrator app um, where we can show all the capabilities of this technology um, and and to kind of give a preview of what's coming next so for example we're very very good at recommending wine but beer and spirits are next they're in the pipeline and um, on top of that we have so much retail data that now we have this automated food pairing engine to f- to pair your beverage with the food that is in the store or your dinner or a group of people that are having a bottle of wine we know how to recommend the best one for a group that kind of thing all right i should say this interview is sponsored by hostgator if you're building a website um, i highly recommend going and hosting it on hostgator i do it with my site it's inexpensive it's fast it just works and uh, they scale with me as my business grows. They have better packages for me. I've definitely saved money by switching over. My audience did not know until I finally talked about it in the ads. And so I recommend it for you too. Inexpensive, just work, scale with you. If you need a host, if you need a website hosted, go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy. When you throw the slash Mixergy at the end, yes, I get credit. But also, more importantly, you're going to get their lowest possible price. Hostgator.com slash M-I-X-E-R-G-Y. First retailer, you wanted to show them that they could sell more wine. How much more wine were they able to sell? So um, it ranges um, on average 12%. goes anywhere from 5 to 20% depending on the traffic and percentage of customers that adopt okay. it. But it was it was uh, more than compelling, you can say. It de- definitely made a difference in sales. 12% on average and an increase in margin of 18%. But 12% of the people who took the who took the survey who answered your questions about their taste were willing to buy more right it's not overall oh right so 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 the way that number um that that's a lift in the sales the category so we increased wine sales overall by overall by 12 percent regardless of whether it's not just for the people who are using the tastery experience no it's for overall wine sales no it was it was stunning on um you know on average 30 to 40 percent of customers in that pilot actually got a tastery recommendation so 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 of the people that were buying wine in the wine aisle um, in our initial pilots, 30 to 40% of them were buying wine mm-hmm. after getting a tastery recommendation. So that translated I, to an average of 12% in lift in sales. That's significant. Mm-hmm. That's significant. So w- w- can I talk about one of your customers? I'm on their site right sure. now. Sure. 
Okay, is it winemaker.com? They're a customer of yours? That's right. Uh, more of a partner, you would okay. say, yeah. <laughs> okay, so I see that uh, it looks like it's a Swiss company, am I right? Where, can I Can I even do it in English? No, it's either, it's either Germany or Switzerland. And as soon as I go to their homepage, I see wines, I... I think the average person would just say, I want this wine. Let me look and get some more information, tap it for that, and then add it to a shopping cart. looks like on this one wine that I picked, they're recommending six. So sure, I'll add six. At what point in the experience are they saying, tell us more about about your taste so we can recommend better wine? I don't even see how somebody would experience it. There's a page. There's a newsletter. um, They promote it heavily through that. So they like... I got to get on the page, but there's definitely a page that shows get personalized recommendations. They're heavily promoting it now. So I think they're driving traffic directly through through their promos for that. But I can get you that. Um, uh, It's not my site, right? So I got to find out what they're doing. But but it's really, really personalization is really, really important to winemaker because they're featuring wine from all over Europe on their site. Um, And uh, a lot of people in Europe are not used to that. They're used to drinking. The majority of the wine is coming from that country. So there's no historical uh-huh. data on consumer behavior drinking wine cross-border. So they're kind of trying to aggregate all of that and provide provide <laughs> the wine of Europe for everyone in Europe. Um, so Tastry was a great, um, I, I don't know, uh, benefit to them in this case, yeah. Okay, I see it now. They're calling it Wine Matcher. The first question is, how do you feel about the smell of cigar tobacco? I'm pretty happy with that. Uh, How do you feel about green bell pepper? I like it. I'm going to hit the smiley face on that. How do you feel about black pepper? I'm going to hit the smiley face on that. How do you feel about the smell of earth? Great, too. How do you feel about the smell of tomatoes? Eh, I'm medium on that. I'll hit the no smiley, no frown. Uh, How do you feel about goat cheese? Eh, either one. Uh, how do you feel about black olive, smiley? I'm basically saying yes to all this. Yes to mushrooms, raisins, sure. How do you feel about the taste of black unsweetened coffee? I wish that there were two smiley faces I could put on that. <laughs> all right. And now they're analyzing my answers. I basically said yes to everything. And I could see this seems like it's your your site embedded in their site. So they didn't have to create any of it. And once once you're done, they automatically show me wines from their selection on my screen. I get it. I see how this works. And based on those simple questions, you can give me a wine that I'll love? Well, it looks simple on the front and deceptively whimsical, yeah. I'm sure. But um, yeah, there's a lot going on in the back end. Yes, we can. We um, we can understand. We found about 85% of your palate with that set of questions. Of course, there's a lot of diminishing returns with the amount of questions we ask, but that gets us a really good good starting point for sure. That feels awfully simplistic. Yeah. You could tell based on questions like that what type of whiskey I would like, what type of coffee I'd like, etc. So so remember, you're not answering a lot of questions, but there's so many permutations of how you answer those questions in combination, and we certainly look at that. Like, like I'll put it this way, we, it's very important to us when you don't like something. Like, we know you don't like what Mm -hmm. you don't like more than you like what you like. There's a weight to that. And we're also looking at how you're answering the questions in combination with each other. So, like, with this method, we can identify, you know, a minimum of, what is it, over 150,000 unique palettes. So, we can get really, really granular as to how you're different from another person and the chemistry and the robustness of that is supporting that. Um, So, it looks fun. Um, but okay. uh, yeah, <laughs> but there's a lot going on. Yeah. 
All right, and I like how once I was done, they gave me a few selections, and then they said if I really want all of my information I and my scores, I need to enter my email address. So <laughs> then they, they have me on the email list, which is a clever a clever thing to do. All right, let me, let me try to just see if I do all smiley faces versus all frown faces, does it end up giving me a different result? We're analyzing. Okay, please wait. Data is, is loading. You're doing this all in real time for them. Oh, yeah. Everything is different. Okay. One of the things you told our producer is because this is brand new stuff, it's just really hard to explain it. It's really hard to to get new customers. You're basically inventing a new type of business that embeds itself in somebody else's business. How? So what's what's your process for, for doing that, for explaining it and for growing sales? Oh, my goodness. Um, well... We, we got really good at efficacy tests, as in proving the technology works in the real world. And we um, we speak very, very strongly to uh, certain value props. And they're all about either making more money or saving a lot of money or in many cases being more efficient with both those things. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think I think we've mastered the look, this is new and, it, you know, it, it's very novel and it's, it's maybe hard to wrap your head around. But we can make you a better product that will outperform your own blind tasting panels. And we could do it in 48 hours at a 10th to a 20th of the cost, um, uh, as opposed to it taking you the traditional six to eight weeks. So people pay attention when you, you know, there's millions and millions of dollars at stake. Um, so that's how we got our foot in the door. And are you putting the sales team together? It doesn't feel like the person who's the chemist who cares about the the details of the equipment and how our pallets work is going to also be the person to put the sales process together. Who's doing that? I would say I've, I'm actually, I disarm people and I can't actually be quite a good yeah. salesperson. But um, no, we have um, we have a very experienced uh, salesperson. He came from, he was the head of global sales at Sugar CRM uh, before Tastry. And uh-huh. he had a lot of experience um, talking to high value clients um, and doing big sales. So he joined the company um, pretty early, um, actually helped us get to product market fit. And he um, helps with hiring um, our salespeople. To be honest, at the moment, we're not really selling. We're largely focused on customer success because our mm-hmm. customer base is um, so advanced. Like like we have more customers than the infrastructure of the company can handle, and that really largely happened in the last six months. So we're just we're just focused on dealing with the clients we already have today, which is. Meaning more retailers are coming on board and then saying, we want updates to the way that you're sending us information. We need more from you so that we can we can include you in our products and sell more. Retailers somewhat, but mostly it's the brands. Um, the brands are all over this. We have... How? How are brands working with you? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, just, just to kind of like put a pretty bow on this if yeah. possible. Um, we're a B2B company. We, to retailers, we sell the ability for them to provide personalized recommendations to their customers. But because we're getting hyper granular on customer behavior, it's aggregate. We're not dealing with private data or anything like that. They're able to mm-hmm. optimize their assortment in the store and reduce waste on the shelves. On the manufacturing side or the winery side, um, they're using that same national distributed customer palette data or or customer palette data in general to 
um, identify their market of opportunity. So where are the customers that are going to absolutely love their product and buy it again? And how do they get into that market? And then the final thing we do with this technology is computationally blend that product in many cases to ensure that it doesn't fail in the market after a multi-year, multi-million dollar investment. Uh, so yeah. So wineries, or I guess, is it wineries or distributors who are paying you to say, where we have this product, where should where should we go and sell it? Where are we going to find customers who are going to want it and buy it again? Currently, right? currently it's wineries, but we're beta testing some of that data. Okay. Yeah, with distributors. Okay, and then you also have wineries saying we want to create a new type of wine based on people's tastes. Help us understand what they're looking for. Sell us that um, that expertise. And then they're they're creating better products based on what you tell them. Right. And in some cases, it's more cutthroat and and not cutthroat, but like they'll say, look, our competitor took half our market share for this label last year. Why did that happen? What did they do? Mm. Where's the overlap? Why was this vintage inferior to last year's vintage? And we can give them all those answers. So, yeah. Based on what? Based on what? Based on the consumer data. Um, that we have based okay. on the fact that we understand, a, what is it, the majority of the mi- market in terms of chemistry and differentiation and, and based on the fact that um, we we understand that the answer is in the chemistry and we know how to measure the chemistry to get the answer. So we, I say we built the most sophisticated consumer and sensory database slash engine uh, to answer these questions that current technology couldn't answer. Because your your hardware and software can analyze their wine and compare it to the wines that are selling in different markets. Exactly. Is that it? Exactly. Got it. It's like a super taster. Yes, exactly. That could then give them feedback. It's not just what people are answering in surveys. It's a super taster. And then how, do, how else do you know what's selling in different uh in different regions are you getting data back from retailers in many cases yeah we are we do know what's selling we have channel partners um uh i don't know if i should bring them up but they have uh historical purchase data from uh what is it hundred fifty thousand locations in the u.s market so that's pretty helpful um yeah did you see taste change during COVID when people are drinking at home versus drinking out? I don't know. I hasn't. I, we haven't been around long enough to really see or be able to predict that drift. Um, but I think, mm-hmm. you know, I could say everyone's talking about how people are um, drinking more and drinking more and more premium wine. And I would say we certainly mm-hmm. see that. All right. Speaking of COVID, we'll close out with this. You told our producer that that really changed your timeline. It changed your business. How did COVID change your business? Yeah, uh, we were very heavy in a, into just working with retailers at the time. And we were talking about this big company vision and how we were going to vertically integrate and use our two data sets to kind of power the supply chain with insight. Like that was always the vision. But I didn't expect to be working with brands until, you know, a year or two down the line when we really got some more traction. But when COVID hit, it became like a necessity. I didn't want to depend on retail. I didn't want the business to depend on retail. And fortunately, that worked out really well. All right. Congratulations on your success. You told me you you know what your growth is going to be for next year. Can you say that publicly? 550%. How how can you tell that it's going to five x oh, next year? Because our clients right now are buying so much product 
and they already have we already have a backlog of product we need to deliver to them the only thing that's stopping is product delivered to them date like more software more data more insight on consumers more blends they're buying more insight okay and the only thing that's stopping you from being able to deliver is the front end of the software it's still mvp it needs to be more robust so we have a backlog of business we need to deliver on um which means get the front end caught up with the back end um so good problem to have i think but yeah that's our problem all right. The website is uh, it's tastery.com. And thanks for coming on here and telling your story. Thanks so much, Andrew. It was fun. Thanks, Katarina. Bye. Bye, everyone.